Okay, what we're going to uh, look at today is the life of Jesus and, the, and his relationship with uh, the Holy Spirit. What I'm hoping to show you is Jesus' utter uh, dependence on the Holy Spirit. We don't have a passage to hang this on, which I know is my usual style, but we do have the whole depth of Scripture, particularly the New Testament, which is uh, a wonderful resource to be able to do that. So what I'm going to do is try and go straight into it, uh, if I can. And uh, I want to look at, firstly, that Jesus was... Uh, begotten of the Holy Spirit. Now, being a strict Baptist, I know everything about being begotten because it was a word that I uh, am very familiar with. The word actually means uh, caused by or precipitated by. And uh, if you look at Luke chapter 1, verse 35, uh, you, you will get introduced to what we now call the Christmas story. And it goes like this. The angel uh, answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, uh, the, to, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, Jesus' birth... Uh, was entirely because the Holy Spirit had come upon Mary. As we uh, see it in Scripture, had overshadowed uh, Mary with the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus had uh, a real mother and was a real man, but his conception was the work of the Holy Spirit. It was a miracle. It was a work of God. It was an extraordinary act of the Holy Spirit coming uh, upon just a young girl, uh, very surprisingly, we would say. Now, I want you to think, I want you to apply your mind this morning, and you are allowed to get excited as we go on uh, and respond back, just to prove that you are not still dead in your sins, okay, that you're alive. If you then turn to John 3, chapter 1, you don't have to do that because I'm going to read it. If you look at it in your Bible, John chapter 3, verses 1, we're intru- 1 to 5, we're introduced to Nicodemus. And here's what uh, the writer says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is within him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He, 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 can he enter into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here's the extraordinary thing. We look at Jesus's uh, birth at Christmas and we get a little bit uh, excited about those sort of things. Steve gets us up and says, Do we not need to be excited about this thing called salvation? The answer is yes, because our own spiritual birth came in exactly the same way as Jesus' physical birth did. Salvation is because of the Holy Spirit. It is because the Holy Spirit came upon us. The Holy Spirit overshadowed us. 
He came and met us with power. It was not a work of our own. It was not a work of our, our, our own being. We didn't conceive ourselves, our own salvation. The Holy Spirit suddenly came and met with us, overshadowed us, what with exactly the same thing, power. Power came upon us. What does that mean? It means you are and we are an extraordinary walking, living miracle. We are a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has transformed, I'm going to hit this thing, has transformed our lives by breaking into our lives. We are a living, breathing demonstration of God. We are, as the Bible describes us, born of God. This is something worth at least nodding to. But be careful, your head might fall off. Uh, we wouldn't want that at, the, at this point of the time. But it is an extraordinary work. The Holy Spirit has come upon us. Just in case you thought you did anything of yourself. Secondly, Jesus grew up with the help of the Holy Spirit. We read later on uh, in Scripture, in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. And the clever ones will say, Nigel, this is not a direct reference to the Holy Spirit. And they will sort of drum the side of their face thinking what an idiot is standing in front of us today. But the really clever ones, the ones that are not drumming their face at the moment with their fingers and being theological, would also say, how on earth can you do these things without the Holy Spirit? Which is true. How on earth do you become wise and in, in stature and favour with God and man? In fact, 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 8, talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and describes it as, uh, for one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. So you actually cannot be wise, bunch of fools, without a work of the Holy Spirit in you. That actually, wisdom itself comes from a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have a few commentaries. They line our house at different points. In fact, you know, if you go to the toilet, they're under the toilet. You know, if you could go into... Do you not believe me, Claire? Okay. I am lying, but just, just amazingly, you believe me. Here's what two commentaries say about this verse. The Geneva series of commentaries says this. As Christ grew up in age... So the virtue of the Godhead showed itself more and more. As far as I know, the Godhead includes the Holy Spirit. You're allowed to talk back, okay? You're not allowed to insult. I insult, because I've got, but you need to come back to me. So, okay. And the Godhead includes? Oh, the, it's, we're getting better. Okay. Gill's commentary <laughs> says... This, he says, his understanding was clear, his judgment solid, his memory strong and retentive, his will and his desires of it were, uh, were to that which is good, his affections cleaved unto it. In the original, it goes on, 
we read, was strengthened in or by the Holy Spirit with the grace and gifts of it. The former sense is best. Now, you've all understood that. But what, that, what he's saying is, the, is the writer is saying this, without the Holy Spirit, without a work of the Holy Spirit in us, we are not going to mature. We're going to stay exactly as we are. But the desire of God, the desire and the work of the Holy Spirit is that we increase in stature, in favor with God and man. And actually, if we think that we can do these things without the Holy Spirit, then we are actually quite unwise. That our maturity depends on us being filled with, affected by, touched by the Holy Spirit. Jesus led a holy and spotless life and offered himself without spot to God through the working of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know how to shorten it. But it's a good one, isn't it, really? Um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 is where it came from. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works and serve the living God? Note, it is through the Spirit... Through the Spirit, or through the work of the Spirit that Jesus offered himself without blemish. It was actually a work of the Spirit. Now, just because you've got some people in here that are taking this a little bit further, does this mean that you will be perfect like him? No, because afterwards I'm going to get Phil Harmon to tread on your foot. And then you will realize how imperfect you are. But it actually means that there is help for us to be what God has called us to be. And God has called Jesus to be a perfect sacrifice. He has called us to be a holy people, an uncompromising people in today's society. And the Holy Spirit comes and helps us to do that. It's what it does. You do not need to compromise in regard to your sin. Because the Holy Spirit can help you to not compromise. It's no good you saying to me, you should see the sin that I deal with. Because I will say to you, you should see the Holy Spirit to which I love. That's the answer to it. There is no excuse for you to be sinful, actually. Because the work of the Holy Spirit can come and help you. So if you say to me, well, Nigel, you don't understand I have issues. I have maybe anger issues or frustration issues. I'm saying to you, yes, you probably do. But he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Therefore, we do not need to succumb to, to, succumb to these things any longer because the Holy Spirit is greater than. The reason that we are like we are is because we're not filled as much as we should be. The reason that we sin more than we should is because God needs to grab hold of us and deal with these issues. Are you with me? Think about this a little bit further. Jesus met and overcame the temptations that other men and other people overcome. He didn't do that as some sort of special bionic person at all. He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It wasn't suddenly he put on a blue suit and red underpants and a red cape and said, take me into the desert. Let me do this sort of stuff. And he flew in sort of going like, I can't get any higher than that. But, <laughs> that my, <laughs> but you know what I mean. We sort of think like that, don't we? Suddenly he became Superman and there he stood and he wafted off the forces of evil by shooting them with power from his little finger as the devil stood, he went, and we sort of think that, and we think, no, I can't do this. And we all must think the only answer to church is for all the men to buy red underpants. But listen to this, please listen to this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, and yet is without sin. What does that mean? It means that with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you can be tempted and not sin. That's the reality of it. It's not saying that you should see temptations. Oh, you should see it when I have to walk through Soho. And all this sort of stuff. You know, I can't help my eyes. No, come on, guys. We need to get a grip of this. The Holy Spirit can keep us pure. He is what? He is a Holy Spirit. I hate with passion that sort of New Day experience. That's not the conference, by the way. Of sort of saying, we just need the Spirit. No, we need the Holy Spirit. In fact, from my day, it was better because it was a bit more frightening. We needed the Holy Ghost. We perhaps need to, because it was a bit more scary. The Holy Ghost is with us. But it is like that now. I just need a little touch of the Spirit. That will help. A little touch here and there of the Spirit. Isn't it jolly? No, Holy Spirit. Help comes, makes you pure. That's the way that it works. He won his victories in the same way that you will win your victories. Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus was led up into the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. (laughs) And we go, what? Listen, the Spirit led him, but he did not. That's how we face our hardest trials. Okay, let's get everybody off underpants. Okay. Jesus was anointed and equipped for service. Biggest battle of pastors? I can't do that. I just couldn't. Please, pastor, do not make me do that. No. Don't ever ask me to pray in public. I just couldn't. How did Jesus do what he did? Well, he was just different to all you lot. That's the answer. No, come on. He did. We can err and come into theological and emotional conclusion that Jesus did what he did because he was God. Now, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And because he was fully man, he needed the Holy Spirit to do what he did. That's simple, isn't it? Acts chapter 10, verse 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
Wow. He did it. He did it. Do you know how we... We, we, I don't know if you noticed that Steve, I thought he was going to get out, I thought he was going to come and grab this, I had this vision this morning, because when Steve got to, and he waved the leaves, I, I, all I could see was Steve was standing here, and there's this behind it. And, and I have to admit, I thought in a minute, he's going to come round and he's going to batter us with that big plastic leaf going, pray, pray, you thing, you know. Hosanna to the son of David. And I just kept thinking, I didn't, perhaps you're not like this in worship. But yeah, I just, I, just this moment caught me, just sort of Steve coming out there. And actually, it is a real issue. Why are we so silent in worship? Why? Why can we not pray, prophesy? Why is it this massive problem that exists? Oh, possibly, oh, sorry. I can't possibly do it. It's no good you laughing because you didn't do it either. You remained silent. But it's really interesting. We, what we had to come down to is this, that we need to be full of the Holy Spirit so that we can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and do these things. In a prophetic vision about the coming Messiah, you think about this. It says in Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord was upon me because... The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, I'm outward bound. I'm out. I'm not in, I'm out. This was proclaimed by Jesus in the temple. When he's standing up in the temple, the first thing that he's saying is, I do these things because the Spirit of God is upon me. Spirit of God is upon me. Luke records how Jesus began his ministry. How do we begin? How do we start? Luke chapter 4, verse 2, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the report of him went throughout the surrounding countryside. All these, all these passages contain one lesson. It's by the equipping and the moving of the Holy Spirit that God will cause us to be enabled to serve him how we should. It's true. It's true. It's often the church's fault, isn't it? It's, you know, well, what is the church doing? We're the church. We're the church. Should we do more? Yes. Well, it's one way of doing more by a people just full of the Spirit who suddenly move out and step out of their own uh, comfort zone. How filled are you? Does it move you? Jesus knew the favour of God through the Holy Spirit. They're all controversial, these ones, so bear with me. If you get angry, that's because that's back to point something. So, Jesus knew the favour of God through the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 7. And when Jesus was baptised, immediately he went up from 
uh, the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. One wonders at that point what he saw. It's not recorded. But it says this. The minimum he saw was the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And then all the Christians have logos with feathered things on them. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is obedient. He, he responds to obedience. I will be baptized. And the Spirit of God descends. And there is an open heaven and there is a voice of affirmation that comes. Extraordinary. Just for Jesus? Is that just for Jesus? Is that just Jesus and his baptism? Is that what we think could occur? No. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's an extraordinary thing that happens when the Spirit of God falls upon us. We have an experience of a voice of affirmation. This is my Son. Do you know what that does for you? Your back goes up. Your shoulders stick out. Your chin goes up. Everything physically and emotionally changes about you. When God calls upon his own, this is my son. Now let's deal with some issues. How many of us in reality struggle with the issue of assurance? I would like to suggest that it's higher than we um, would, would like to admit. And one of the reasons is that we battle with the world. The church battles with the world. And uh, some of that is because we battle with an issue today called self-esteem. Which actually means something like this, Claire. You'll never sit on the front row, Claire. You know, the, the key to you is that you must feel good about you. You must feel wonderful. When I can, excuse us, when I can help you so that you feel good about you, girl, you will motor. And that's the way that the world has done it. I'm coming over there in a minute, but with my red underpants, okay? <laughs> Just to shock it. That's the way that the world does it. I want to suggest that it is wrong and unbiblical that actually self-esteem has actually destroyed the church and is destroying the church because it, the church is trying to say, okay, we need to work in the area of self-esteem. We need to make people feel good. And that, Now, it's not saying that we shouldn't encourage, we should. But actually the Bible tells us this, Claire, sorry, that we have no righteousness of our own. It tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that basically you and I are rubbish. And self-esteem has left the door. And everybody's going, I didn't come to hear a sermon about how bad I am. No, you didn't. It's true. 
But assurance and security from God does not come from what I think about me. It comes from what God thinks about me. And, if I, and that is the, my only sense of security and my only sense of assurance. It is not in what I think about me. So all you pumped up, good-looking guys, you're not so. Okay? You're just not. Because actually, you good-looking guys like Femi and stuff like that, Pex, it won't take long, for me to look like this, although you'll never look white, okay? That's not going to happen. But it's, you're just going to... Uh, see? And all these ones, you know, you know, there's Jonathan over here. I am the best-looking man in the building. And over here, you know, Phil Smith back corner. No, he's not. I am. And all that, all arguing, you know. And I wear the most trendiest clothes because I do the overhead projector at the front. And then I've got this. And look at this. I have, and we all look like this. And it's really strange, isn't it? We live in this world. Hey, no, we need to do two things. We need to know one is this. We have no righteousness of our own. But we are clothed in his righteousness and it's what he thinks of me that matters. It's not what man thinks of me or what I think of me that matters. It's what God does. How do we get to that position? We don't get to it through self-esteem. We get to it by being filled with the Holy Spirit so that assurance comes and we know that we are sons of the living God. That's what being filled means. We're going to do some theological bit in a minute, but we'll, we'll carry on. So here we go. There's lots of words there. Uh, what does Jesus was taught by the Spirit who rested upon him? What was the source of his win- wisdom and insight and understanding? Well, that is because he was a doctor like John Snelling, and all doctors are brilliant. There is no doubt about it. John Snelling is now just covering his eyes, thinking, I will not look at him. But it is true. It is true. You see, the brightest person in this room, John Snelling. It is. How do I know that? Because he told me. (laughs) Is it true? Ask his wife. No. How on earth do you do this? How on earth do we... Do we relieve ourselves? How do you get counsel and understanding issues? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. And the Spirit of the Lord, prophetically, will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight will be in the fear of the Lord and he will judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him and that will help him to have wisdom, insight, understanding, knowledge. Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant, in whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit on him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Matthew 12 will repeat that. Do you find that our 21st century life is very complicated? Just, sometimes I just think, what? Do you think that our laws are deteriorating? Do you think that our religion is not powerful? Do you feel like that 
wisdom seems to come from strange places. Well, think about Jesus for a second. He looked on out, out of his world, and his world was a Roman-occupied Palestine. Taxes were breaking the back of society. Violence was escalating. Sickness was rife. Morals were shot. Freedom was in decline. And the people of God were weak. And prophetically, God says to him, you need the promise of the, of the Spirit. If ever there was a time when we as the people of God need the Spirit of God, it is now. It's now. What will stop us being wavered by media headlines? It will be the Spirit of God. I've got two theological ones. These are for Phil Harmon and Mrs. Harmon, who might be listening. I haven't mentioned Mrs. Harmon for a while, and now I'll be in trouble for calling her Mrs. Harmon. It's Margaret between me and Margaret. My friend, Margaret. Okay, so Margaret, these are two points for you, and then we're going to just move on. You can ignore the last point. Okay, that's me finished. All right. So the Holy Spirit, is that right? Yeah, dwelt in Jesus in all his fullness, and that had consequences. I just want to take you on a journey with this. John 3, verse 34. For he whom God sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Let's leave the first part of the text alone. I'm going to give you the tip of the iceberg here of what I think is going on. Bear with me, because uh, when we get to the end, it gets more exciting. God gives the one whom he has sent, the spirit without measure. He gives the spirit without measure. What does that mean? It means that there's an infinite difference between the way the Son receives the spirit of God and the way that we receive the spirit of God. Because this is a promise for Jesus. He gives the Spirit without measure. Wow. The way the Son receives it is measureless. It can't be measured. Why? Because it's infinite. It's infinite. Can you imagine an infinite experience of the Spirit of God? Where God communicates in part, bestows on him infinitely. It must be an extraordinary experience. As much of the Spirit is, the Spirit is poured out on the Son. In as many ways he can have him, he has him. As fully as the Spirit can be known and enjoyed, Jesus knows it. That is an extraordinary experience. Now, you're thinking, well, where does that apply to me? Now, that's the question. Jesus says in John 4, God is Spirit. And if God is spirit, what does it mean for the spirit to give the spirit without measure? That's the complicated question. In verse 35 of John 3, we get an answer. The father loves the son, God, who is spirit, and gives the spirit to his son without measure. The father loves the son. What does all that mean? It sounds very complicated. But could it be that the spirit of God is fully divine 
And because the Spirit of God is fully divine, that means that when the Spirit falls, the, div- the, the divineness of God also comes upon him in the sense of the love of God. Think about that for a second. So when he's saying the Spirit is given without measure, in the context of those John 13, he's saying there is an infinite pouring of the Spirit and it comes, the consequence of that is that it comes in the form of love. The love of God. Okay. Wow. So now think about this. This is my son. This is my beloved son. Spirit poured out without measure. How does that affect us? Let's try and put this in in a context of us. You will only be able to understand the full measure of God when you get to glory. Our bodies can't contain a full measure of the Spirit of God. You just can't. And when you get to heaven, we're going to be blown back by, by the infinite Spirit of God. We're going to be blown back by the infinite love of God that's going to come and... When it says in the Bible, doesn't it? And what remains, love does. An infinite love. When we have a glorified body to be able to receive it all. Now, try and put this in context. Even a titchy bit of the without measure is massive for us. Titchy, titchy, tiny bit. Think about what the illustrations are. How can you... What do you do to a, uh, how can you move, what about faith? What is it? A mustard seed. How much of God's infinite love do you need from the Spirit to overwhelm you? Tiny, titchy, smally, booty booty bit will absolutely overwhelm us. And when the Spirit of God is poured upon us, we will know an overwhelming experience of the love of God. That's it. That's it. You will know it. There is a longing in our day for people to be loved. There is a security issue and here it is left for us as the Spirit is poured out without measure love of God can come. We say, our nation needs healing. Here's one way that can sweep across our nations. It is by the Spirit of God moving and a people who feel unloved, abandoned, will know an infinite measure of the love of God. This is why we guys need to be full of the Holy Spirit so that we can pass it on. That's the first theological one. Uh, I'm going to miss one theological one because I got that wrong, Margaret, and then I'm coming back. Uh, how do we do miracles then? Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. For if it is by the Spirit of God that I can cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The preceding statements, Jesus would talk about compassion and how he felt in regard to people. So it is the Spirit of God and the compassion for people that rise within Jesus so that he does these things. 
explaining uh, how the church would do similar. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish spirits, to another all various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of those tongues. Gifts of healing, working miracles, extraordinary gifts, but for the benefit of other people, not for the benefit of me. They are to be measured in gifts of love and compassion. It isn't, well, and we do this, don't we? We've done it as elders now. Well, we need to get the gifts flowing. Actually, we need the gifts flowing because we want expressions of love and compassion to come upon us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, Though I have faith to remove mountains, but have love, I have nothing. All gifts are combined with love. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Who for? The common good. So sometimes, do you know that thing about, well, we didn't have any prophecies this morning? Didn't have uh, an interpretation, didn't have a tongue? It actually demonstrates, one, the poor of the Spirit. The other one is our love for one another. If we love for one another, if we love each other so much, we will be seeking these things so that we can do good for one another. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Make love your aim and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Once you set your heart on doing good and on love and on compassion and also in parallel to that, being zealous for the spiritual gifts, then some of the things that we see here, including gifts of healing, will just burst out from us. So, We should not reject them or despise them or exaggerate them. I want us to seek seek them because we we have a desire for good to come amongst us and love and compassion. And we do that first by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, one theological one and one practical one and then we're through. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was raised from the dead. Actually, this is the last one. Why do I want to talk about this? Because I think it's very important in regard to perspectives of life. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this Spirit who dwells in you. Who raised Jesus? It's not a trick question. The Holy Spirit. Who will raise you? The Holy Spirit. Okay, the all-important truth. If the Spirit of God dwells in you this morning, His Spirit is going to raise you from the dead and give, give new life to this mortal body. The first implication is this, that God loves your body. I'm really pleased about that because mine's knackered. (laughs) And some of yours are more knackered than mine. Uh, If he weren't, 
Listen to this. If he weren't concerned about your body, he would say something like this. What we'll do is that we'll let it rot on earth. That's what he would do. Good riddance to it. But he never says that. If you look at 1 Corinthians 6 verse 13 and 14, Paul is talking and arguing on this. And he says, the body is not meant for immortality, but for the Lord. And the Lord loves the body. And God, raised the, um, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. There are two amazing statements. The body's for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. What does that mean, that the body's for the Lord? If you look at verse 19 and 20, it goes on, it says, Do you not know that the body is the temple of what? The Holy Spirit from which you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. The body is for the Lord. The body exists to glorify God. There's a negative and a positive in this. If you want to pick up the negative, you're going to have to deal with it. Okay? I'll do the positive first just to encourage you. Here comes the positive. There is a use for your eyes and your ears and your tongues and your hands and your feet and your appetite and even your sex drive, which glorifies God. I will talk about sex drive in over coffee, if anybody wants to ask me. But actually, even that brings glory to God. There is, an, there is a use of your eyes and ears and tongues and hands and feet and appetite and sex drive, which can dishonor God. Your bodies with all their appetites and all their drives and all their limitations are no accident in God's plan. was how he made you to be. Verse 13, the Lord is for the body. He's not against it. He's for it. Why else would the Spirit raise it? The Spirit raises it because the Lord is for it. That's the extraordinary thing. Well, I liked it. Would you like to see what you're going to be raised into? Yes. I was asked the other week by people that will remain nameless, but they are sitting on the front row over there, if, I will, if I've ever had a six-pack... I just want to say this. No. <laughs> but for you girls, I'm going to describe what I will look like in heaven. Okay. Right. For you. Okay. Mom and dad, you need to learn, you need to teach your children. Okay, right. Here we go. This is a snapshot. Snapshot, snapshot of what you and I will be like in heaven by a work of the Spirit of God. Daniel, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn away to righteousness like stars forever and ever. That is better than a six pack. Look what I will look like. Come on. <sighs> How about this one? Matthew. The gospel of Matthew. The righteousness, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Hey, come on. 
Look at what I'm going to look like. The righteous will shine like the sun. That's hot. I'm hot. Come on. (laughs) Philippians chapter 3 verse 21. Christ will transform the body of our lowliness to have the same form of the body of the glory by the power by which he's able to subdue all things to himself. Wow. So I've put something together for this. Hear this. God created you with a body. And he created you for his glory. Therefore, he's going to raise this body no matter how mangled, no matter how deformed, no matter how emancipated, no matter how disease-ridden. He's going to make it strong. He's going to make it healthy. He's going to make it beautiful. Ah, fantastic. And when I see you, I will look at you and you will look at me and you will say, flippin' heck, we look like the sky on a bright summer's day. We look like the splendor of a million stars. We look like the sun in all its glory. And we look like Jesus Christ who made you, redeemed you, and raised you. And all this by a work of the Spirit. So will I get a six-pack? I'll get more! (laughs) But what about now? Let's conclude with this. What about now? Because the six-pack's not here. What about now? How does that make a difference now? Listen to this. This is what Jesus said. When you have a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or brothers or kinsmen or rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return. And you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now think on that for a moment. These are words that Jesus said to help us to press through in life. What if you get nothing? What if you get nothing from this life? What if it just gets worse for you? What if university you don't pass? Or do you get made redundant more than once? Or you get sick early? Try and answer this question. Where do you think that Jesus got the strength to endure the cross? How did he do that? How did he have the strength to get himself from not only this point, but also to the point of bearing our sin? How did he despise shame? How did he cope with fleeing disciples? How did he not react to the denial of Peter? How did he allow to be beaten and scoffed and those thorns and the nails and those sun? that sin that was placed upon him. 
as he was ringing with the same words that he'd said to his disciples, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Our flow of unspeakable hope comes from a work of the Holy Spirit. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he also who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. <coughs> Let me just say this in, in conclusion, and I mean this. If you chase it on earth, you will get hurt. Chase heaven. Chase heaven. If you really believe that God is for you and not against you, and that he gave his life to give you a a resurrected body, chase what's in front of you, not what's here. The essence of Christian life is not to win the reward of men, but to struggle and fight and believe in the resurrection of our bodies by a work of the Holy Spirit. Anticipating that the Holy Spirit will give this sad old Midlander a glorious six-pack in heaven. There are several things that are very plain in this text. Uh, First of all, we see the depth of Jesus' humanity. how he worked, how he thought. And in the depth of that humanity, we see that he needed the same spirit as us. Secondly, we see his utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. That he lived and life and worked and achieved everything he did because the Holy Spirit was upon him at every turn. And the third thing is this. It is evidence it is evident that we have a wonderful privilege and that is that our blessings and our victories and our conquests and all that we've got in front of it is open to the same spirit, the same spirit. Part of the triune God is available to us. In her humanity, if we are dependent on the spirit, then he is at our disposal. To, to work our lives through and take us to that day when his spirit will bring this body into its glory. Now, I want to do some, a strange thing here. I'm guessing that Phil wants to sing. Uh, but would you stand? Luke chapter 11, verse 13 says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to ask to those who ask him? Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know, I don't know whether you, know, you need to be born again to say yes to that, to need the Spirit for the first time. I don't know whether you feel that you need to grow up in maturity and stature and wisdom. I don't know whether you are actually struggling with temptation. I don't know whether you feel that you just need to serve more 
and, and there's a blockage in serving. I don't know whether you know the favour of God or assurance of God. I don't know whether the, the world that you live in, that you are affected by it, or that you just need a measure of God's love, or gifts, or a resurrection perspective. But whether it's any of those things, one or more, the Bible clearly says here that if you can ask for the Holy Spirit. So rather than me pray a priestly prayer over you, why don't, you, why don't we just close our eyes? Why don't we just lift our hands to God? Why don't you just begin to ask for the parts of the character of the Holy Spirit that you think that you need in your life? Why don't you just begin to ask? Ask for the Holy Spirit. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why don't you begin to ask, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit for this. I need your Holy Spirit for this. I need him for this. And you begin to ask. This is huge. I need your Holy Spirit. Just begin to ask. Those that do, for some of you, it might be just asking in tongues and just beginning to ask. Why don't you just ask the Holy Spirit? Identify things. I need this. I need this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Okay, what, what I'm going to do now is that I'm going to just wait just for a second or two. Uh, Phil, if you could just play. I just want to wait. And I want to ask this question. I want to wait uh, until a few of us begin to know what we call the manifest presence of God. Which means that, that God is just beginning to, to touch you. And you know that. So keep asking. But Holy Spirit, I want to ask you that you would now just manifest your presence in this room. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to, to just touch us. Lord, we say to yes to all these lists. So yeah, we need your Spirit. Thank you, Father, that you will, you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. You pour out in abundance. Thank you, Lord. Okay. If you know that the Holy Spirit is just upon you and just beginning to move in your heart, uh, why don't you just move along your line and just begin to pray for the person that is next to you. Just move 
slightly. Just put your hands on them. Just begin to pray uh, the Holy Spirit's presence upon them. Just begin to move out. Holy Spirit, person of the Trinity, we thank you that you have been left with us till Jesus returns. We declare to you our dependence on you. We ask you to fill us again. We ask you for more so that we can serve you better so that we can glorify Jesus more. I'm just ask you right now to come and touch us afresh. Come and touch us.